listening to Ouija Broads. This is Devin. This is Liz. We have talked, Liz, about canines on the show before, haven't we? Yes, we've, well, canines and lupines. Canines and lupines and oopines and gobbledygookbines. We've talked about the Shunkawarakin, which is that hyena-wolf hybrid thing in Montana. Uh, let's yes, see. the pooping wolf. We've got the, yeah, the pooping wolf. We've got the swimming wolves of British Columbia. We've got uh, Bruno, the dog who inadvertently found the organ caves. We've got oh yeah Taz, and I'm blanking on the other dogs' names, but all the dogs that have found those gross fucking Salish Sea feet that you keep- Yep, got another one. Telling me about. I know, it's so- They just keep coming bad it's so bad depending on when you're listening to this and what episode order we upload them in you might have heard about abby and molly the dogs who defeated the bob marshall wilderness well today i want to tell you about two more dogs which is great because you have also dogs, dogs, recent dogs dogs dog, dogs everybody. we also talked about marquis de lafayette and small revere <laughs> those are my favorite dogs <laughs> the dogs I'm going to tell you about today are pretty cool. They're known for their their loyalty to humans, but <laughs> Marquis de Lafayette at Small Revere. TV Pooper. TV Pooper. We've got so many puns and so many dogs, my friends. So many. <laughs> and this is also good for you because your kiddo always wants to hear animal stories from you. Yes, she does. So I've got <laughs> two more that you can add to your repertoire hooray hooray let's start in the continental united states we'll talk about one dog in montana and the other dog in alaska i'm going to start you off with the story of shep the loyal sheepdog who waited five faithful years for his master who unfortunately would never return oh okay we'll start with the kind of bummer one but then we'll get to one that has a happier ending This story is set in Fort Benton, Montana, which is considered the birthplace of Montana because it was one of the first trading posts in Montana territory. It's today a lovely little town. It's been on Forbes' list of prettiest cities in America. It has a little history museum. The images I can find online are kind of in that, what you'd expect from maybe a small town Midwest museum. So I'm not going to vouch for its ability to deal well with like the native story about Montana, but it does a good job cataloging its days as kind of a little wild west town or a little lumber town, or mostly what it had was a train depot. Okay. That was important. It was important. And it's tried to preserve a lot of its heritage, some of its buildings. And today its town square has been revitalized and it has at the center a bronze statue of Shep the Sheepdog. And he's standing there. A dog statue. A dog statue. Isn't that sweet? That's the kind of statue you're rarely going to have to tear down later, you know? That is never going to make people sad. It's never going to... I don't know, Liz. Maybe they do have a Confederate war dog memorial statue that I'm like... I wouldn't even be mad at it, though. I'd be like, the dogs don't know. The the dogs don't know. They're just being good guys. I will let Fort Benton set this scene for us. They have on their town's website a whole page dedicated to Shep and his memory. And here's what they have to say about this good boy. (laughs) During the summer of 1936, a sheep herder fell ill while tending his flock and was brought to the St. Clair Hospital in Fort Benton, Montana. A nondescript sheepdog had followed the herder into town and soon set up vigil at the hospital's door. A kind-hearted nun who ran the hospital kitchen fed the dog during those few days before the man died. 
The herder's family in the east requested that his body be sent back home. And on that August day, the undertaker put the body on an eastbound train for shipment to his waiting relatives. As the gurney was rolled onto the platform, the gaunt sheepdog reappeared and with watchful eyes eyed the casket as it was loaded onto the baggage car. Attendants later recalled that the dog whined as the door slammed shut and the engine slowly started to pull away from the station. Head down, turning and trotting onto the tracks, Shep followed the train a short way. That was the day a dog named Shep began a five and a half year vigil that was broken only by his own death. It's the saddest thing. Don't listen to this if you're having a bad day. Just skip this and come back because it's one of those stories of just complete gut-wrenching loyalty that makes you think that we as humans do not fucking deserve dogs. Oh, we definitely don't. Holy shit, we are heaven on earth, my friends, and we know that because we have these beautiful animals called dogs. Shep was that fucking kind of dog. He stayed at the station and greeted every of the four trains that came through daily. He sniffed each person, looked in all the doors, and inspected all the baggage whenever possible, looking for his sheep herder. And when he didn't find him, he refused all other entries of friendship or or petting from the visitors and went and laid down at the edge of the platform to wait for the next train to see if his dude was going to come home on that one. So loyal, so dumb. Oh, oh, so dumb. I just wish, I really do wish that I, in my life, if I had a superpower, it would be to have like 60 minutes of my life where I could communicate with an animal and have them understand me. And so I could use those in like, you know, second bursts. But it would be times where I would be like, Bailey, why the fuck you keep pooping on the floor in the hallway of my apartment? What, let's figure this out together and then never do it again. Okay, so tell me about this this dog. So nobody could, he wouldn't let anybody really pet him or love no, him. No. I assume somebody was feeding him. Yeah, exactly. So he, he continues to, st- and the railroad folks go, okay, well, this is just going to be what he does. So they put out food. They give him a little bit of shelter because we're in middle of Montana. There's highs of 100 and then there's blizzards in the winter so they make sure he's got a little lean to he's always got food he's got shelter from the rain and as the months go by as it becomes years word of his loyalty spreads of course the newspapers pick it up so people start coming to the station they take the train just to see shep which is probably frustrating for shep because he's like i gotta greet you assholes when i'm just looking for my fucking sheep herder But people try to pet him, and he'll kind of tolerate it. But several folks say, I'll adopt him. I'll take him home. And Shep never wants to go with anyone. He stays on his platform. That would drive me crazy, actually. I'd be like, how do I make you understand? Yeah. That's that's (laughs) why I said I need this superpower so I could. Shep would be one of the ones where I'm like, baby boy, he's not coming back. You can keep being here. If this is what you want, Mm -hmm. we'll make this great for you. But he's, he's not coming back. I wish they would have, like, showed him inside the casket or something. Inside the casket? Because I think they understand death. I think they do, too. I think... He just didn't get a good look at him or a sniff of him. Yeah, to understand, like, okay, this is not my person anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, he was already an old dog when he came off the mountain in 1936. And, of course, he gets older. Um, He's less sprightly. It's now 1942. And I'll let the Fort Benton website talk about his final uh, days 
Throughout the vigil and the long nights under the platform in the cold winter that had taken their toll. Stiff-legged and hard of hearing, Shep failed to hear the old 235 as it rolled onto the station at 1017 a cold winter morning. Before he was able to get out of the way, the engine was upon him, and he slipped on the icy rails. At that point, Shep's long vigil had ended. So, poor baby dies there at the station, but the town is so moved by him that they give him the grandest burial that town had seen. Let me tell you, almost everyone in Fort Benton attends this funeral. The Boy Scout troop acts as pallbearers and as guards of honor. Uh, The horribly sad eulogy for a dog is read. And he is buried with full honors on a hillside bluff so he can overlook the town, overlook the station. His graveside has an obelisk. It has a wooden cutout of Shep. People come to spell out his name in rocks. And then in 1988, the town replaces the wooden effigy of Shep with a metal one because the wooden one obviously was deteriorating. And now this metal one can be a permanent marker at his grave. But I told you he's honored with a statue in the center of town. In 1992, on the 50th anniversary of his passing, they have a grand memorial for him in the town center. They have a famous artist cast a bronze sheepdog. It's this beautiful, honestly, very nice. I don't like realistic statues, but I quite like this one. It's a very nice looking sheepdog. He's got his ears cocked. He's pointing. He's very intent, obviously looking for his master. And they've put it in the center of town on this brick terrace where people were able to purchase the bricks and have them inscribed with memories to their own departed loved ones or pets. So it's This is some serious like that episode of Futurama shit right here. Holy shit. This is Fry's dog times a yes. million, right? Jurassic Bark. That was Jurassic it. Bark. My god, that's the one I will not rewatch. Oh Mm-mm. man. But he's now he's he's joined the Wikipedia list, Liz, of dogs known for their loyalty. There's a lot of dogs that actually hang out at train stations waiting for masters. There's that really famous a couple of famous ones in Japan where they would walk (laughs) their master to work, wait at the train platform, maybe have a dog day, but then come back and pick them up at night. And, you know, their masters died at work or died on the train and never came home. But the dogs still go. They still uh, go and check out and be like, is dad coming home tonight? Nope. Okay. Well, I'll try again tomorrow. Oh, my, my God. said when she was in Italy, she saw a dog who could take the train by itself. There's like a, it would get on at a stop and then ride to a later stop. There's, there's a dog in Seattle. He has his own pass, <laughs> Liz, and it's clipped to his collar and he gets to get on the on the, the bus and he gets to get taken to the dog park. He knows which oh stop the dog park is, Liz, and oh he takes God. himself to the park and he gets back on the train at night to go home. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They're amazing. Dogs are so fucking cool and some of them not this dumb little dachshund i have curled up next to me but some of them are really smart (laughs) he's doing a good job being quiet he's doing a good job being quiet he's curled up like a little nut man right now on a blanket his dad's taking a nap and he's bored sleeping in bed so he's sleeping on the couch i guess time for a change of scenery change of scenery you know mix it up the bed's soft the couch is firm well 
I want to tell you about the other dog. This one has a happier ending. We're not going to talk about dogs dying. We're going to talk about dogs helping other people live. Yay! Hooray! This one, Liz, if I'm talking about a famous dog from Alaska, do you know who I'm talking about? Balto. Balto! You were a kid of the 90s, weren't you? Yeah! You saw that I didn't cartoon. see that movie, but I'm still <gasps> osmotically aware oh, of it. My goodness, I saw that movie. Liz, I have kind of a disturbing confession. I feel like I might kind of be a furry because... Oh, because you have a crush on Balto? I have a crush on his girlfriend. Okay, well, that's a little more complicated. But by that logic, everybody (laughs) who saw that Robin Hood animated movie at an early age is also a furry. Because Robin Hood, when he's a fox... He is a fox. Yeah, right? In two ways. That's true. I feel a little better, but I definitely had a crush on Balto's girlfriend, who was like this weird lassie collie dog that I thought they utterly ruined by putting a bandana around her neck. It had to have been the size of a tablecloth because it doesn't go (laughs) into her fur. It goes around her big, luscious mane, and I thought that was stupid as a child. Sure. Balto is totally the fictionalized version of real Balto in the movie. He's like this half-wolf dog, and he's an outcast. And the other oh, dog right. that's that's there, the other sled dog, is a bad guy, when in reality, all the sled dogs in this this thing that Balto's famous for was a good guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Balto... They were all good boys. They were all good boys and girls. But Balto was the lead sled dog on one of the teams who helped rush the diphtheria antitoxin to Nome, Alaska to help treat an outbreak of diphtheria that was poised to totally ravage the town's child population in 1925. It's January 1925, and doctors have realized that an outbreak of diphtheria has started with a few adults in town, but if it spreads to the kids, it's typically fatal, especially in the 20s. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently it's a bacterial infection that presents different ways in different people, but kids and elderly, of course, are always susceptible to things that are going to kill them. And I think you always have to kind of adjust chronologically in Alaska, because like 1925 in Brooklyn. Yeah. Maybe would have been a totally different scene than 1925 in Alaska. It's kind of like 1885 in Kansas. That's exactly (laughs) what I'm thinking because they're in Nome, Alaska, which you don't get to unless you are. uh, Planes are now a thing, which is great, but they're just like little bush pilots that are doing supply Mm -hmm. runs. You get to and from Nome via sled dog. And when this disease breaks out radio is a new thing telegraphs are becoming a thing the town is able to broadcast we need some fucking help and we need this antitoxin the the towns in alaska start rallying but they're going how do we get stuff to you the town has one airplane the engine is frozen oh no other uh people are trying to say well can we fly this antitoxin to you can we make sure that we're flying from our place into you. And for whatever reason, these plans are all scrapped. Even uh, Roald Amundsen, the guy who was the first at the North Pole and at the South Pole, yeah. uh, he says, well, fuck, let's fly a plane from Seattle there and get them antitoxin. For whatever reason, this doesn't work. So the town goes, fuck all y'all. We're going to sled dog this bitch. Mm-hmm. We are hardy motherfuckers. We're going to relay race the toxin from... From Nanana to Nome, a trip that usually takes our mailman 25 days, we're going to do it, and fuck all, we get it done in five and a half days. Oh my god. 
Over 20 mushers and 150 dogs take part in this relay to get antitoxin from Nanana to Nome. It's over 700 miles, and they're traveling in blizzard conditions, some of them traveling in negative 85-degree weather. Oh, my God. Holy fucking shit, right? Like I said, it usually takes mushers 25 days. They're stopping at outposts, of course, but it usually takes about 25 days to get from Nanana to Nome going. It's uh, 674 miles, the track that they, they take. So a lot of the mushers that took part of this relay race, it's called the Serum Run to Nome or the Great Race of Mercy. A lot of the mushers were mail carriers, which up in Alaska is very respected because you're absolutely doing that, you know, neither rain nor sleet nor hail nor snow. I mean, they're all costs. Plus these guys, a lot of them, uh, most of the mushers that did the interior part of this race, the vast majority were native Athabascans who are direct descendants of the original dog mushers. Oh, wow. Which is fantastic. They, of course, don't get the acclaim in the newspapers. It's the two uh, Nordic mushers who end up getting all the fame back in the States once this run is done. But the racism Mm -hmm. part makes me sad, so I'm not going to focus on it. We're going to focus on the good dog part. The dog that ran the longest, his name was Togo. He's the villain in the Balto movie. He is not a villain. Togo's a badass. Togo ends up traveling 300 miles. He ran 315 miles for his part of the run because he, with his leader, a Nordic man named Leonard Sapala, he and his musher Leonard Sapala take their team from Nome to an outpost. They're trying to meet a relay racer. Uh, to to help shorten their time, and then they'll travel back. So not only do they have to do a journey forward, they have to do a journey backward. They end up traveling 91 miles from Nome into the oncoming storm just to get to this other outpost to try to give another relay racer a break. They obviously end up doing more, and then they do some of it back, which is how you get this 350 round trip kind of thing. But Balto, like, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, it's it's not like, I mean, this would be impressive distances regardless, mm-hmm. but when you're out and weather that cold, it takes the energy out of you. Like, you're burning Saps stupid you. amounts of calories just to exist. Exactly. the heat is getting whipped out of your body with yeah. every breath that you take. Yeah. It's exhausting for humans. It's it's exhausting for the dogs. They were, uh, apparently, to survive, their handlers wrapped them in rabbit skins to give them an extra insulation. Because even though they were descendant from, you know, Malamutes and Huskies and these sled dogs that are, this is what they're bred to do, they can still get frostbite. Mm -hmm. They can still die from exposure. So you wrap them up like little Michelin men in their little rabbit furs on top of their own furs. Many that probably looked really cute. I bet it looked kind of adorable, right? But they're doing this big relay race, and Balto is noteworthy because he did a very dangerous part, but also because he was the leader of the sled dog team that made it to Nome with this oh. antitoxin. He uh, Balto ran in near whiteout conditions. His musher, Gunnar Kassen, the other famous Nordic dude, couldn't see his team in front of him. He had to rely on Balto being able to find the path and lead the whole oh team. My gosh. His team is also 
uh, interesting because at one point their sled tips over and Cassin has to dig around in the snow in his bare hands to find the antitoxin that has fallen out of its crate. Because, you know, one vial gone is one kid who isn't going to make it. He gets frostbite on his hands from doing this. But ultimately, Balto and his team with Gunner Cassin, they reach Nome on February 2nd, 1925 at 5 a.m. It takes the diphtheria antitoxin several hours to thaw, but by (laughs) noon that day, it's administered to all the kiddos. And only in this, you know, town, only seven or eight people die of diphtheria before the antitoxin reaches them. And so they save the rest of the town. They save this outbreak from spreading. What a story. Isn't that great? Well, what do you do in the 1920s when you're kind of famous and you want to extend that fame? You tour the sideshow circuit. Yeah, I'm like, lecture tour? Lecture? No, they're going to do some (laughs) sideshow stuff. They, of course... Uh, Cassin and Sepla are not friends. Sepla is mad because Balto's getting all this fame and his dog, Togo, ran so much more, was very important. So there's this rift that happens in the community. It's very weird, but Sepla, uh, or Sepala and his dog, Togo, are honored by Roald Amundsen, but Mm. the folks in New York do a statue to Balto in Central Park. One man gets certain newspaper coverage. The other man gets other newspaper coverage. They are at odds with each other. And really, they're just touring their own dogs for more fame and money until Mm -hmm. people don't care. And this new thing happens, which is, you know, a war. And airplanes are a bigger deal. And then they both sell their dogs to the highest bidder. Oh, okay. Cassin sells Balto and his team to a West Coast sideshow. And they're kept in horrible t- conditions there until a former prize fighter turned businessman George Kimball finds them in this sideshow and goes, fuck that. These guys are fucking heroes. They're not going to languish away in this sideshow. He's from Cincinnati, so he gets a bunch of other people from Cincinnati to rally and say, we're going to buy these dogs from these sideshow folks, and we're going to take them back to Cincinnati, and they're going to be fucking kings. And that's exactly what he does. He liberates Balto and his six companions from the sideshow. They come to Cincinnati. They have a parade. These seven dogs are treated like fucking royal-ass heroes, and they get to go live a very cushy, happy life in the Cincinnati Zoo together for the rest of their days. Oh, did they put that part in the movie? No. No, God, in the movie, there's a sequel. Balto has a daughter. Nuh-uh, Balto was neutered. That's why that's why uh, Cassin couldn't sell him for any money. He couldn't like be like, I have the dog that led the yeah. this and you could make puppies out of him. He was neutered. So can't do anything but show him. There's no stud fee to be had. But like I thought that was just fucked up. These dogs saved lives and instead, no, you're gonna be like carny fodder, but I love that this other dude, Kimball's my man, where he's just mm-hmm. nope, nope. Y'all real American heroes. You have a statue in Central Park? Come live in Cincinnati. When he was uh, euthanized due to to old age at age 13 or 14, they had Balto taxidermied, and now he's on display in Cincinnati. I know you love your taxidermy. He's Yeah, that was just a thing that they were more comfortable with back Mm -hmm. in those days. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I don't know. They did I this... know some people taxidermy their pets, and I'm just not, that's not my jam. Not my jam. I'm not going to do that. No, they did the same thing with Togo uh, as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was just the thing with famous animals was you, you kept their skins and put them on a dummy and, hey, there you go. Check out Balto. Uh, but they, I guess Alaska, once Cincinnati's, uh, museum had this taxidermy for a while, Alaska was like, ah, he's famous to us. We'd like him for our museum. And Cincinnati went, fuck you. He's our dog. So they've loaned Should have taken better care of him. Yeah, right. They've loaned him out to Alaskan museums for temporary exhibits, but he is still firmly the property of this Cincinnati museum. And they have no plans to, uh, relinquish him to Alaska. I'm a monster because through this whole story, I've just been thinking you could pretty much take any husky and <laughs> just be like, look, oh, it's Balto. <laughs> boo, Elizabeth, boo. You could not. Balto looked very specific. He actually, he doesn't really look like today's husky Malamute kind of things. Look mm, up a picture look of him. He's kind of this black, funny, rangy dog. He's got a white bib. He's got some white socks going on. But he doesn't look like when you think Siberian Husky. He's not a Russian hound dog. He's very much those kind of bear dog looking Northern American animal. Oh, yeah. He is kind of distinctive looking. Isn't he? But the people I'd be selling tickets to wouldn't know that. They would not know that. They'd be rubes, Liz. You'd take them for a ride. Mm-hmm. Those are my hero dogs of America. Oh, I love your Hero Dogs of America stories. Yeah, aren't they good boys? Yeah, I'm going to stop flipping through images of Balto online before I get to the furry shit, I think. Oh, Liz, I am three three sections down, and I've already got Balto greeting other- Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Getting it. I don't know if he just found her pregnant. Yes! Isn't that terrible? My God. People, quit doing what you're doing. Here's Balto and his lady love standing up wearing outfits. It's dumb. Do you see what I mean about her fucking kerchief? And how how dumb it is? In the movie, she puts it over Balto's neck to keep him warm. Bitch. Bitch. That ain't keeping... That's like the thickest part of his fur anyway. That's the thickest... Right. What you should be doing is wrapping that around his genitals, because that's where they really concentrated the rabbit skins, I learned. They packed them up there around their nuts, because that part was going to freeze off. Yeah, fair. Okay. Ugh. Oh, he's a good dog. He looks kind of like a border collie in some of these pictures. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Little shepherd collie. Oh, now we're down onto the fan fiction where somebody's drawn Balto's mom and Balto's dad. And, you know, his dad is this wolf and his mom kind of looks like Scar, the villain from Lion King. So this is great. Wonderful. Something I'm definitely sharing with you in text later. You're going to love it. Do these things. You're going to love it. Give us a dollar on Patreon. I'm going to put up a bunch of Balto furry porn for everyone to check out. You try and stop me. I'm going to to change all our logins. (laughs) I don't know what they are now, which is my my first stumbling block. No, folks, please come follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all this cool social media shit that we do. You can go to Patreon. You can give us a dollar or two. Apparently, I'm not allowed to put up pornography. Well, your loss. We're still worth a dollar or two. 
you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and on Podbean. I want you to live weird. I mean, I want you to go get all the furry porn your little heart desires, but Liz is being kind of a buzzkill. And I just think you should die weird. <laughs> but we both, we both want you to stay weird. Thank you.